baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. Nearly two years into this pandemic now, it kind of feels like we've seen it all, from surprising surges to wildcard variants. But if life under COVID has taught us one thing, it's to expect the unexpected. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on the program, we're going to check in with a local infectious disease expert who says that even at this late stage in the pandemic, it still makes sense to be careful. You know, getting COVID of any flavor is no walk in the park either. And then a bit later on in the program, we'll also discuss why predicting the course of this health crisis has been so difficult. This virus mutates at a very regular rate, a couple of mutations a week. First up, what does COVID safety even mean when Omicron seems to be just about everywhere? With infections so widespread at the moment, there's an unusual sense of fatalism that seems to have washed over the Bay Area, with a lot of people asking the question, you know, what's the point of all this masking and social distancing if it seems like just about everyone is catching the virus anyway? Questions like that have prompted health experts to come out over the past week to set the record straight that even though this latest COVID variant does seem to be milder, there's still plenty of good reasons that you don't want to get it. And we've got one of those experts on right now. That would be Dr. Peter Chin Hong. He's a professor of medicine and an infectious disease expert at UC San Francisco. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, well, Hong welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me on, Keith. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Great to have you on. And we're having you on right now at, I think, yet another strange moment of this pandemic. Uh, as it's felt for so long now, it feels like we've been going this f- through this forever. Also feels like the uh, future is much less certain than I think a lot of us were hoping it would be at this point. Um, so maybe actually a good place to start this conversation would be to point out that there actually are some good reasons to think that we may be approaching at least the beginning of the end of this particular surge. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I think that uh, we have several indicators that the end is coming of the surge, or at least the peak is upon us. And that, you know, gives us some cause for at least feeling a little bit less anxious. So some of the evidence is the South African peak uh, is very ice-shaped, uh, like a stalactite or stalagmite, uh, sharp up, then sharp down. Um, the UK uh, in London, they're already starting to go down. The East Coast has plateaued, slightly coming down. And recently, we heard about the wastewater in uh, the Santa Clara County area 
showing that actually when you look at this unbiased sample of the waste that the amount of virus uh, RNA fragments is already on the way down, even preceding what we're seeing from testing curves. Yeah, so as many experts have been hoping for, we are seeing at least some indications that this surge may be fast in, but also relatively fast out. And that would be a huge relief because of all the disruptions that we've been seeing in the Bay Area as uh, a result of this uh, very uh, massive surge, record-setting surge. Um, so perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, as we uh, mentioned at the top, there is this sense of fatalism that uh, a lot of people are experiencing at this moment, so much so that we've even seen reports of here and there of people asking the question, you know, why don't I just catch this intentionally and get it out of the way? Uh, Dr. Peter Chin Hong, I saw you addressing questions like that on the TV earlier this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on that particular way of dealing with Omicron? Well, you definitely shouldn't go out and intentionally try to get it for several reasons. And I definitely have seen a lot of these kinds of thoughts or questions from people. I think what's driving a lot of this is just this anxiety that you have. You're trying to prevent all you can to not get something. And that anxiety and that state of suspended sort of um, not being able to move forward in life is, is making people feel um, like, well, everybody seems to be getting it. It seems to be mild. So why shouldn't I just go out and, you know, uh, not be as protected, get it over with? Right. And what are the reasons why that might not work out so well? So I think about three buckets when I think about reasons as an infectious disease doctor, why you shouldn't want to go and intentionally get it. The first is about you. So we know that uh, although there are lots of reports of people having mild disease, you don't know how it will feel on you. And, um, you know, getting COVID of any flavor is no walk in the park either. I've heard from some young people who've had like really severe muscle aches and pains and headaches. And, you know, it's much better to not have these symptoms. It goes without saying than to have them. The second is we don't have a lot of information yet about chronic symptoms uh, with Omicron, certainly with the other variants, we've heard about long COVID and chronic symptoms that can happen as, in as high as 30 to 50% of people. So the jury's still out. So as this evidence is occurring, you definitely don't want to intentionally get something that might leave you with uh, some symptoms that might impact your school or work life. So that's about you. What about your loved ones, your family, the community? Well, even though you may not get completely sick, um, you know, they may be immunocompromised individuals or people who can't get vaccinated yet, like uh, kids under five um, who may not do as well if they got uh, infected and their chances of getting infected would be higher because they're not vaccinated and they're certainly not boosted. Uh, appropriately. Um, and then for the community, uh, if you rely on, as I do sometimes, Amazon drivers or picking up that pizza uh, from Delfina, uh, all of these workers, um, the more viruses circulating in the community, the higher chance that anyone can get it. And I think it really is disruptive to our way of life in the community. And when one of these individuals needs to get a hospital bed as hospitalizations continue to rise despite the possible decline in new cases per day because they lag. Um, they may not even be a bed easily available. So you don't kind of want to tempt fate and tempt uh, hospital supply by intentionally getting something. And finally, it's really uh, better for the world if 
one person or a few people less get it because every time you have a transmission event, it's said every two weeks you make a new variant. Of course, not all the variants rise to the level of the rogues gallery of variants, but you never know which variant will. And that variant may not be quite as forgiving as Omicron. Yeah, just going to reintroduce you again real quick. Uh, we are speaking right now to Dr. Peter Chin Hong, professor of medicine and infectious diseases uh, and an infectious disease expert at UCSF. Uh, this is KCBS In-Depth. And so those are a lot of the reasons that Omicron is still nasty stuff. And I feel like these are messages that we've been sending out over and over again. You know, it's kind of funny. One of your colleagues, uh, uh, Professor Robert Wachter uh, at UCSF, spoke to him uh, several months back, uh, just a week or two before Omicron peaked out. And at the time, he was giving the advice that, you know, it doesn't look like this um, uh, COVID problem is going to get significantly better anytime soon. So it's time for us to just begin to learn to live with it. Just a few weeks later, Omicron had popped up and he had changed his tune pretty uh, significantly. Uh, So for our listeners, I can just imagine a a lot of them out there are thinking, you know, how can I get some sense of normalcy or find some kind of cruising pattern when the rules of the road are changing so drastically and so continuously? Wondering for your thoughts on that, Dr. Chin Hong, as somebody who has been on the front lines of the COVID fight for so long, how do you maintain some sense of equilibrium in the midst of all this? Well, it goes without saying that we all have to be intentional about, you know, having well-being and wellness in this time of uncertainty. And after 21 months of, you know, really ups and downs with uh, cases and hospital capacity and people feeling fatigued and burnt out. So, you know, I think that, you know, myself personally, I'm still engaging with life. Um, I'm not I haven't walled myself off in my house. And what it means is that when I navigate life, uh, I do it responsibly as a vaccinated and boosted person. One of the joys of of science is that I know that I'm not gonna get uh, seriously ill myself um, and I'm not going to go to the ICU suddenly and I have a very, very low chance of at all of dying. So it gives me some level of confidence that's very, very different from, you know, even last winter when we had a terrible surge in California. So that means, you know, when I go out, I wear a better mask than before. So at least a surgical mask, if not a KN95. And if I'm going to be in somewhere for risky, that is indoors, poor ventilation, I'll probably make sure I'm wearing one of these higher grade masks. Um, The second thing is, you know, I want to make sure that if I'm going into a family reunion, even though there are some limitations to testing that you know, we can do rapid testing as prevention, not just diagnosis. And so I've been using that, for example, um, you know, visiting my mom. If I haven't done that for a while, she lives in New York. I'm planning to visit her soon. So I'm going to do a rapid test, but I'm not going to not visit her because the more I don't visit her, the more she's lonely. And that mental health uh, consequence is so strong. You know, I've been on FaceTime with her for so long. uh, We can't continue that so I've vowed to visit her periodically, despite whatever comes up, because that that benefit for me and for her far outweighs the disadvantage of me potentially catching something, even though I'm going to be very, very protected. So these are just some of the considerations. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, again, as a boosted person, 
I, I feel very confident that uh, we are in a different place. There are oral uh, agents that are going to increasingly be available that can protect me and my family and my loved ones, uh, even if they were at risk for getting serious disease. There are increasing supplies of monoclonal antibodies. So I think the landscape is changing. So it is optimistic in that way. Yeah. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left, but maybe you you mentioned a couple of the precautions that you yourself are taking. And I think the message that we've been getting over the past several months is everybody kind of needs to work out for themselves what their own level of precaution needs to be, depending on that cost benefit analysis of how important is this meeting? Is this meetup? Is this, uh, you know, indoor meal, whatever it may be, uh, versus what are my own personal risk levels? What are the risk levels of the people around me? So uh, that's not a, a simple equation that anybody can give. But maybe Maybe just to help folks navigate answering those questions for themselves in the coming weeks, what to you are going to be the signs that we are entering a safer period of this pandemic? What should people be looking out for to be saying, all right, I can be incrementally letting my guard down a little bit? What should people be watching out for? If you want to watch out for one thing, just look and see what a, how our hospitals are doing. If our hospitals are you know, having uh, beds available, if they are uh, workers that are able to take care of patients. That is the, the most important measure of how we're doing. Don't be you know, frustrated by the massive case counts, 5,000% increase in Puerto Rico, 1,000% increase in DC, but instead focus on the beds. And as long as those remain intact or they're seeming to open up, I'll feel a lot less anxious because at the end of the day, we don't always take or only take care of COVID patients. We want to make room for everybody else with that heart attack or that stroke or that hip replacement um, because we know that over time, uh, the health of the entire community is what we're after, not just COVID health. All right. A lot of important insights there, and we do thank you for them. We have been speaking once again to Dr. Peter Chin Hong, professor of medicine and an infectious disease expert at UCSF. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Keith. Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Well, so far on the program, we've been discussing the remaining risks posed by the Omicron variant and how to stay safe amid this current surge. Up next, we'll consider what'll come next. With the pandemic, that is. It's worth reflecting for a second because, you know, we've already seen two major surges driven by the emergence of new variants of COVID-19. First with the Delta surge and now, of course, with the Omicron surge. So looking forward, it would be really nice to know just how many more variants we should expect and what they could look like when they get here. Well, to answer those questions... We really need to understand how this coronavirus is evolving. So for some insights on the science of this virus's evolution, we're going to welcome on now Andrew Pekosh, a professor of microbiology at Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health. Andrew Pekosh, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you very much for having me. 
So uh, this past year was a year of so many unwelcome pandemic surprises. And uh, I think the emergence of these variants was doubly surprising for a lot of us because uh, at least early on in the pandemic, the message that we were getting was that this virus likely was not going to change all that much. Uh, Obviously, that's turned out not to be the case, and uh, we're now faced with a variant that is better at spreading and uh, better at dodging our immune system. So help us understand why this virus is changing so quickly, uh, or I suppose another way of putting that is why it's uh, evolving so quickly. Yeah, the the story of SARS-CoV-2 evolution is almost um, a story of two different things that are going on. Um, For long periods of time, this virus mutates at a very regular rate, couple of mutations a week. Um, Most of those mutations don't do anything to the virus's ability to replicate or cause disease, but they were incredibly useful for scientists to be able to track where viruses emerged, who got infected by what variant, because you can follow these mutations and see the train of where the virus moved through the population, how it jumped countries, how it jumped households. Um, And along the way, it started to show some signs of getting better at infecting humans. And, you know, that's, that was somewhat expected because as, as viruses infect people and mutate, if there happens to be a random mutation that makes the virus better at replicating or better at transmitting, that will usually become the dominant virus after a while because it's just, it's kind of like a sprint. If you're, if you can sprint a little bit faster than your uh, neighbor, then you'll win the race every time. And eventually your neighbor won't be able to, to, to race anymore because, you know, you'll, you'll have won every race. But hmm. There have been a couple of times now, Omicron has won, the emergence of a variant called Alpha Variant um, um, is another one, where a variant has emerged that has too many mutations. So many more mutations than that regular rate would expect us to have accumulated. And it's still not clear for us how that's happened. There are a couple of theories. There are theories that maybe it was replicating in a person with a poor immune system. So the person wasn't able to clear the infection and that gave the virus a long time to sort of replicate within a person. But what's happened in many of those situations is a virus has emerged that has a lot of different properties. And, you know, most importantly, it's the property of spreading efficiently between humans. And the reason behind that is unclear. But we, we know so much about the virus right now that we can look at the mutations that a virus like Omicron has, has, has accumulated, and we can see which mutation is probably mediating a certain function. We know that Omicron has mutations that evade pre-existing immunity, meaning if you've got a vaccine, you make antibodies to a virus. Well, Omicron has mutations that prevent those antibodies from binding. It also has mutations that make it better at recognizing and infecting the cells in your respiratory tract. So obviously that means that it can infect you and maybe make new virus particles faster. Hmm. Um, And then the big question mark is, it's certainly easier to transmit. And that's the one we don't know much about. But really these jumps, these accumulations of multiple mutations are the oddities that we can't really explain how they've happened But we know that when they have happened, they've resulted in variants that are really a a major uh, increase in danger to the human population. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking once again to Andrew Pekosh, professor of microbiology at Johns Hopkins University. So taking just a step back, when you, you, you bring up the mutations, so basically whenever we're talking about a new variant, what we're talking about is the same kind of evolutionary chain, uh, changes that we're all accustomed to thinking taking place over thousands or millions of years, you know, we learned about in grade school, but here sped up because uh, the uh, virus's lifespan is so much shorter and uh, we're just seeing uh, every time it infects a new person, it's getting a new opportunity to pick up some mutations. And uh, in the case of Omicron, you're saying it's picked up quite a few mutations, even more than we would expect. Absolutely. You know, it's important to realize that when a virus infects a person, it goes from maybe a hundred particles that start the infection to making tens of millions to hundreds of millions of particles almost on a daily basis. So that and that's just copying within ourselves and that's just within one person. Mm. So so that gives the virus a lot of opportunity to make mutations or to incorporate mutations. And, you know, many mutations, we never even detect them because if a mutation makes a virus less able to replicate or not as good to transmit, well, that virus is going to lose the race and we may never detect it. But it's that steady accumulation of lots of mutations and eventually finding ones that make the virus better able to replicate that occurs on such a fast rate because the virus spreads so easily and because it replicates to so many millions upon millions of copies within each person it infects. So we're dealing with a virus that is mutating and evolving more quickly than we expected. And then we have some other bad news. I think uh, another misconception that many of us, uh, myself included, until recently had was that what we should expect over time is a virus that was evolving to become less virulent, in other words, less dangerous, causing less severe illness. The thinking goes that because a virus needs a live host, it should uh, not want to kill off its host, so it should cause less severe disease over time, and that'll help it spread more quickly, more people alive, more people uh, spreading the virus. It's going to spread more widely, and that's going to be a more evolutionarily uh, successful virus. But Uh, While it is true that Omicron actually is uh, less virulent than uh, past uh, iterations of this virus, you have written that we shouldn't take it for granted that that's the trajectory that we should expect to be on. Why is that? Well, because particularly with a virus like a respiratory virus like like SARS-CoV-2, it's really about transmission. And the virus transmits most effectively during the first five to seven days of infection. So a day or two before you show symptoms and then three or four days after you show symptoms. And after that, very little transmission occurs. But it's after that that the severe disease that SARS-CoV-2 causes really penetrates. So essentially the virus almost doesn't care about the severe disease because by the time you develop severe disease, it's already infected you, replicated, and spread to the next person. So it's certainly true that if, the, that if a virus like SARS-CoV-2 killed everybody it infected, eventually it wouldn't have anybody left and therefore would probably drive itself extinct. But, but SARS-CoV-2 is a different kind of virus. It probably needs some symptoms to spread effectively. So it's going to cause some level of disease, 
you cough, you sneeze. Those are great ways to send lots of virus out into the environment. Mm. And that's something the virus will, that will help the virus spread from person to person. But it doesn't have to change its ability to cause disease because in essence, it doesn't care how much disease it's causing because its transmission is done before the host is dead. Speaking once again with Andrew Petkaj, professor of microbiology at Johns Hopkins University. So where does that leave us, uh, essentially? I mean, uh, if if the hope was that this thing was just going to get less and less serious as time went on and eventually it would just become the flu, is, is that still a possibility? Or is, is there another possibility that just by the random bumps and prodding of mutations that we could see another wave, a new variant that's uh, even worse to deal with? Well, you know, there's one way that we can make COVID-19 the disease that you know is caused by SARS-CoV-2 um, more milder or less severe, and that's to take advantage of the vaccines that we have right now, because we can induce in the population what what I call population immunity, and that's not herd immunity, which many people talked about initially. This idea that if enough of us got antibodies, we could stop the virus from spreading and not have to worry about the disease. Um, that doesn't look very likely with SARS-CoV-2 because it can change its surface proteins enough to get around some immunity. But population immunity is what we think about when it comes to diseases like influenza. And that's if enough of us have some immunity, we'll slow down the virus and we'll keep from getting severe disease. We may still get symptomatic disease. We may still spread the virus, but we won't be suffering as much of that severe disease, that hospitalization, the deaths, as we did, let's say, early in this pandemic. And so that's a way to absolutely guarantee that we can get milder disease going forward, take advantage of the vaccines, build that population immunity, and the vaccines will protect us against severe disease quite well. And finally, I guess the, the, the good news is if you're well vaccinated, you have more likely, if you're infected, to have a mild disease. But when you come out of that mild disease, you have an even stronger immune response, which should protect you even better from the next round of variants that come through. So we use the vaccines to induce population immunity, and that will limit the disease severity caused by the virus. And in essence, it doesn't matter what the virus does. We have control over how mild or severe that disease can be. Well, I guess I guess the big question is, you know, here we are with Omicron that is better at evading the immunity that we've built up uh, both from prior infections and from our vaccines. Should we expect future variants to get even better at evading our immunity? Uh, what what are the chances that we might get a virus that was completely capable of getting past that immunity? Very, very low. And, really? and if I, when I look at Omicron, I think this is probably the best the virus can do to try to evade immunity. So I think my personal opinion is I think we're dealing with the worst that's, that, that SARS-CoV-2 can throw at us. But predictions are always so difficult to make with this. But I really do feel like this virus has really sort of moved to a really high level right now. Um, it's doing a lot of things very well. I think it won't be able to make major bumps going forward, but we'll still see the virus change and we'll see variants emerge that are able to, you know, increase cases a bit, increase severity a bit. 
but we won't have that that opening like the virus has now to really infect lots of people in a very short period of time. That's interesting. So you, you think we've seen the best that uh, COVID-19 has to throw at us? I really do hope so. <laughs> um, but it certainly, it, from what we know right now, this Omicron has tried to put together every trick in the book to get around immunity. And, um, and you can still see that vaccines are still working against severe disease. So I think that's a positive aspect. All right. Well, I, I got to admit, that is kind of the answer I was hoping for. So uh, I guess we'll call it a win. Probably best to end the interview there on that note. Uh, we have been speaking to Andrew Pekosh. He, once again, is a professor of microbiology at Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health. Andrew Pekosh, thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe. Be well. We'll see you next week. listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 